Hi, this is Sheila with the Podmotion team. Lots of podcasters and journalists say that interviewing is an art. The truth is that interviewing is a combination of solid preparation, curiosity, empathy, and deep listening. Sharing the best tips on how to become a good interviewer is our guest, Amanda Cupido. Amanda is a journalist, podcast producer, and author based in Toronto. She's interviewed thousands of people in diverse settings and is here to help you become a really good interviewer. You can find out more about Amanda and her favorite podcast interviewers in the show notes. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into the topic of podcast interviewing. Sure. So I'm a podcast producer and communications consultant. So I'm doing end-to-end podcast production, but I also run workshops and I teach at Ryerson University School of Journalism. I teach um, audio documentary and podcasting. Um, But prior to this, I, I have a background in radio. So I spent time doing producing, reporting, news anchoring. Um, And during that time, I I started dabbling in podcasting. This was uh, more than a decade ago, though. Um, And since then, I've continued to build. I've built, I've made more than 15 different series for clients, thought leaders, organizations, branded podcasts, um, and journalistic pieces. I've written a book called Let's Talk Podcasting, The Essential Guide to Doing It Right. Um, And I also built out one of Toronto's first branded podcasting um, verticals at an agency, which was called Media Face. And that was back in 2014, right when their popularity started to to rise. So yeah, I've been in the space for a while and I love it. And I'm so excited to see how it continues to grow. Yeah, you're very accomplished. So I'm really thrilled to have you on our show. It's great that you're going to be able to share so much knowledge. Uh, I mean, specifically this time around about podcast interviewing. So, yeah, yeah let's jump right in. Let's do Tell, it. Yeah, let's do it. Tell us, uh, first of all, about how you approach podcast interviewing, preparation, research, things like that. Sure. So I think one of the most important things before you even start your research is to determine what kind of interview you want to be doing. There's two types of formats that we tend to see in podcasts, right? There's one like right now, what we're doing, a chat cast, people will call it. It's very conversational. Um, and you kind of will have the back and forth of both the interviewer and the interview subject. The other type is uh, an interview that's set to be clipped and then scripted around. And so this is more, um, it takes a bit more time in post-production, a bit of a different style with the narrative. And so determining what the end result is going to be will help you with your preparation. So right off the bat, you know, I'm taking a, I'm taking note on whether or not I, as my interviewer, I'm going to be on the record, so to say. So once I've determined which style of interview I'm going to do. That really helps me as an interviewer know where my place is. So for instance, if if we're going to have a, a conversational piece, I know that I'm going to want to be reacting. I'm going to want to have some good banter back and forth. I'm going to prepare myself for that, even just mentally psych myself up for that. Um, on the other hand, if it's going to be clipped, I'm going to want to actually stay quite quiet. I'm not going to want to talk over the guest at all. I don't want to even really react um, in, an, in an audible way so that it doesn't ruin the tape that I'm going to be 
cutting later on. So determining that as a step one is really important. But then as far as actual research and preparation goes, both will take a pretty similar approach. You want to find this fine balance between knowing enough so you can ask intelligent questions and not waste your time getting like dates and times um, as answers. Um, but also you don't want to be overprepared or else then I find that you'll get a lot of information jumbled up in your head. You're going to have a probably a very long articulate list of things you want to cover and it actually might take away from the natural curiosity that would come out of you as as someone who is interviewing just like an innate human quality of curiosity. So you still want to leave some of that there. Um, so it's it's a better of striking that 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 balance and then preparing. I don't like to prepare too many questions. I just prepare kind of milestone topics that I know I want to hit on and then have an organic line of questioning that comes out from there. Wow, you've you've given a, a lot there in that one answer. There's quite a bit to unpack. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you touched on that fine balance, uh, the curiosity. It's it's all great stuff. Um, I'm curious to know: does the the fine balance come naturally when you first began interviewing Amanda, or is it something that one develops with experience? I do think a little bit of it is just you get better over time. For sure, when I was a young journalist, I would over-prepare for all my interviews. I'd have pages of notes. Um, and it acts as a bit of a security blanket when you're going into situations, especially if you're talking to someone who's of high profile or you only have a very short amount of time with them and you want to make sure you maximize it. But as I became more seasoned in interviewing, I found that that was working against me sometimes. And it was better to kind of go in with a little bit of uh, easing on the on the gas pedal, so to say. So um, I do think that with practice, uh, it does it does get easier. Mm. And then the the other thing that you touched on in your in your answer a few moments ago, which is really important, is that sense of curiosity. Um, and I think that anyone who's gone into journalism like you will have that that natural curiosity. How important is that trait for conducting good interviews? Yeah, I think it's integral. And I think for sure people who go into journalism probably have it. But I also think that the average human does have that, right? Um, if you're if people are watching a show and they get a tidbit of something that's really interesting, but then you know, it doesn't go deeper. You hear, you hear a mention of, oh, well, he was having an affair. You're immediately like, what? An affair? Who? What? Where? When? You know, like everyone wants to know the juicy details. And so um, that's just storytelling. That's just humans in interacting, right? That's just how we, we absorb information. And so um, I do think that that's, that's integral, but it does get overshadowed or can be lost if someone is very nervous or if someone is overthinking or if someone's very tied to a set of notes and so someone might drop a bomb like that but then you have a list of questions you feel like you're married to and and you can't look away from them and you you don't probe further so you kind of might miss out on some of those natural follow-up questions which is where um that's where I feel like it uh it can really lose its way and that's the difference between like a good interview and a great interview yeah, really good point there. And I suppose that's where the over-preparation comes into play, that you 
you know, you don't let the natural flow of the conversation evolve and you're focused on getting so much information, you risk losing focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Now, how do you know how much is enough preparation? Is that, again, something that's come with experience for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's no magic formula that we can say, oh, you should have 250 words worth of prep. You know, um, it's it's not like that. But I do think you want to make sure you have, I, I like timelines, like you should really have your timelines down pat. I hate when um, there's a really amazing guest sitting down with an interviewer and then they spend time going, well, what year did you graduate high school again? And then how long did you live in the city? Like, you know, I want the the ideally the interviewer should have that so i know you spent 4 years living in the city of toronto what was that like for you right so the question should be getting to those meaty pieces that are about feelings and really colorful rather than just facts and figures um so that we can really get the stuff that you can't find online right that's mm-hmm. uh, so i think that's um, one of the pieces that I would say, you, if you really l- listen back to your own interviews or if you're even listening to other interviews and noticing what kinds of questions they're asking, how is the interviewer setting up the questions? So I think you just need enough information to set up the questions well. Um, and like I said, with you, if you have a list of milestone topics, I guess a good amount would be feeling confident that you could set up each of those topics in a pretty robust way without asking um, you know, fluff or throwaway questions. Yeah. I mean, what, what we, what we're describing there, the fluff, the throwaway questions, all those things are kind of the fundamental parts of a person's bio and that you should have that, uh, before you. And I guess if you don't have it, what you should be doing is asking for it ahead of the interview. You have all that information. And as you described, you want to get into the meat of the interview what you know the person's perspective was like how they feel how they think about things yeah exactly and one of the tactics i use actually if for instance i realized there's a hole in my preparation document or there's something i just could not find online i'll actually ask the guest that as we're testing the microphones and getting set up i'll say you know in my research i was just looking at i know you released two books but i don't know when was the first one released like you know i'll just kind of get that info from them casually before we actually start recording so that then again, I've set myself up to ask the really meaty questions once we're on the record. That's a really good tactic. Now for you, Amanda, did it take kind of time and evolution of your skills to be able to go in and ask those more penetrating personal questions? And I'm talking here about the types of questions where you're asking about someone's feelings about something Uh, you know, that could be quite personal. I know you've done interviews like that. How did you get into a place where you felt comfortable asking that type of question and you didn't feel like you were going to risk, you know, upsetting someone or hurting someone? Yeah, well, I do have to pay tribute to my time spent as a journalist, right? So you're thrown in some of those situations. I would come into the newsroom and not know what I was going to be assigned. And sometimes I was doing street food festivals and sometimes I was covering funerals. And, you know, you have to kind of be ready to do either or. And if you are going to some of those heavier stories, um, you know, you really, 
it's hard to prepare for those, right? When you're in the moment, things happen. The reaction of people cannot be replicated. Um, And so being in those situations over and over again, I think definitely prepared me to being a more confident interviewer, especially the the skills that I'm proud to have today. Um, There were also definitely times where I was doing a lot of interviews back to back to back. Uh, there was a day I remember I did 12 interviews because um, I was at a conference with a client and I felt like I was on some weird game show. So you think you could interview, um, but <laughs> having those kinds of experience, like experiences really does allow you to hone your craft. Um, but going back to some of those bigger topics, um, you know, I've was from covering the daily beat um, in a newsroom have gone on to telling even more deeper, more intense stories. I did a lot of content gathering and interviewing with world vision, the, the nonprofit organization. And so, you know, there were times where I found myself in Afghanistan, you know, interviewing a girl and her mother who were trying to save this 11 year old, the the girl was 11 and she, the, the mom was trying to save her from, being sold off as a child bride and I'm interviewing them through a translator because they speak Persian. And, you know, those are the really complex situations that, you know, you have to be well-researched, but delicate. And it's also emotional for you as the human on the other end of it. And and there's just a lot going on. Mm. And what was that like for you? Tell us a little bit more about that situation. I mean, you're in a foreign country um, that's so different from Western culture, it's hard to imagine. Um, it's an intense situation. It's quite emotional. Tell us a little bit more about how you prepared for that interview and how you conducted that interview. Yeah, it was, it's a lot. I mean, just preparing to go to Afghanistan was, took a lot of preparation in itself and just being acquainted with, you know, what were the cultural norms, what would be expected of me as a traveler, um, someone who speaks English as a white woman, you know, um, so being prepared with what should I be wearing and how I should conduct myself, you know, never reaching out my hand to shake a man's hand, you know, that's like an instinct that, um, of course, pre-pandemic was very natural, uh, when you were being introduced to someone of authority, but like that was not, um, really advised, right? Once I was there also just to sit beside a man was not really advised. So little Mm. things like that, where you got to, okay, just the moment you step into that room, you really got to be on your A game and making sure you know how to carry yourself. So that was one aspect of it. Um, And then the other part is like sitting down with these people, recognizing that they have a really, I mean, this is, this is a traumatic story that I'm asking them to share and making sure that they're okay and that they feel safe and comfortable um, and, and, you know, that I'm setting up an environment where they feel like they can share, um, but I'm not forcing them to do something that, you know, that suddenly doesn't feel right to them. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they were, there was some pre-interviewing done on my behalf, which was really helpful. So we already knew these people were eager to share their story because they really wanted to stop child marriages, right? They were wanting to take a stand. They were wanting to be advocates. So overcoming that hump was one piece of it. And so that was done in, in the preparation before arriving. But then even once I'm sitting there, just like any sort of consent, like people can change their minds at any moment. And so I I was really intentional to 
stop the interview every now and then and check in, right? And just say, um, how are you? Fe- like, thank you for sharing. Are you feeling? Do you- how are you feeling? Do you need a break? You know, and I and I would really try to do a pulse check every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and and especially when there was like a really deep, big answer that was given, um, I would really be be mindful of of to thank them for sharing and that I know how hard that must have been. And I mean, I don't know really, but I would, you know, I'm trying to just relate to them and being like, I, I you know, I can't even imagine. Thank you so much for sharing this. I hope, you know, we're going to work to try to make sure that this story gets told so that this never happens again. Right. And so giving, giving them that extra reassurance about, about what, what's going on here and why. And, um, and then also the delicate balance of like, you know, the human connection. Not, I wasn't hearing exactly. I couldn't understand, right? She was speaking, especially the mom I'm thinking of. She was the really vocal and she was speaking how she was sold into child marriage and how she's just fighting to protect her daughter. And, and she's like taking her daughter out of the home and is on the run. And cause the husband's already made a deal to sell her. Right. And so she's telling me all this and her, she's starting to cry and she's, her eyes are welling up and like, you know, you, you have to really honor that this is a person who's feeling all these feels. And I don't even, like I was saying, like, I don't even know the word she was saying, but I could just see her face. I could only imagine what she was telling me. And I shed a tear with her. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. It just showed I was human and I was feeling what she was feeling. And I was, um, you know, I was kind of with her in that moment. And I think for me, um, uh, you know, at the end of that interview, she told the translator that she was feeling really hopeless and suicidal mm. just earlier that week, but that after having someone who listened and cared, she had a renewed sense of hope. And like that to me, like that makes me want to cry just thinking about it, you know, because yeah, I just think, like, yeah. that's the beauty. That's what this is for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and being able to like, you know, share that story and lift her voice and and hopefully, you know, make some changes to that. that yeah that's incredibly special I mean you, you you really kind of showed empathy didn't you yeah you have to yeah yeah I made her feel comfortable yeah I mean that situation that you've described it would probably be unusual for the average podcaster to find themselves in a situation like that unless they're working for a big media outlet but at the same time every podcaster has to very quickly um, create an environment of trust and some empathy even if it's you know nothing spectacular in terms of the subject matter for the interview. Yeah. Tell yeah. I was just going to say like trauma is trauma, right? Someone can still have like, you know, we don't have to compare everything to child marriage. I, I always like to say that, um, you know, everyone in their own experience can have something that's going to trigger tears. Right. And it could be something that we're not even expecting as the interviewer. It might be something that's unexpected, but, um, you know, you, it, it is really important just to be mindful of how they might feeling. And if you're asking any sort of deeper probing questions, you got to be ready for that to potentially happen. Yeah. I was going to ask, how do you quickly create uh, a safe environment for the person you're interviewing? If it is something that's, uh, you know, very personal, intense, or even uh, a traumatic memory for um, the person you're interviewing, how do you go about doing that quite quickly? Are there techniques that you have? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of tactics for one, um, 
I don't like to start the interview right away. Like as soon as I get into a room, I'm not like mics on, let's go, right? I I tr- I really think that like pre-interview banter is very important. And even if you have a short period of time with someone, I I highly recommend still allocating 5 minutes for just sitting down with the person, talking to them, commenting on whatever's in the room, right? And giving them the opportunity to ask you questions. That's another tactic that like you know, it kind of reverses the the power dynamic, but it's really, it helps you become equals and that's what you want, right? You want to be eye level. You want to be with them in that space. And another tactic is, and it goes back to my over-preparation, advising against over-preparation. <laughs> you, you don't, you want to be making eye contact. You want, you do not want to be staring down at your notes, right? It, it, it leads to a disconnect, a human disconnect. And I think that makes people feel nervous, less safe and so being confident in having your notes, I usually like write, you know, big, I have big keywords written down and I place them in iShot, but I am not clinging to my paper and checking off as I ask each one, you know, I'm, I have it, I'm more so there with them. And, and even with regard to a mic setup, you know, I know if there's a guest who is either not media trained or very nervous, having a big clunky microphone with a, you know, a table arm and whatever, a whole studio setup, or for people who record their, their podcasts on video, like that's all very intimidating, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so being really mindful of that, and it's not necessarily a bad thing in, to say that you should never use that kind of a setup, but it's n- just recognizing when that setup might be to taking away um, from the quality of your interview. And so for instance, the woman in Afghanistan, you know, we didn't bring anything massive and flashy like that. I love to use lav mics in those situations that I plug into my zoom, you clip it on their shirt and they forget it's there. And then, and that's what I have on myself as well. And we're sitting there and you don't even, you know, and it's a conversation and that really helps put people at ease. And again, I've used that even here Back, I live in Canada. You know, I, I use that all the time when I'm interviewing people that I think might be nervous by a by a big setup. Mm. Well, I mean, you've described some techniques there that are, are, are really great, or I should say, some some things that uh, an interviewer can do. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, listening to you, you've had so much experience. You've been to Afghanistan. You've worked with the mainstream media. A new a new podcaster listening to this interview might think, wow, you know, I don't really feel I could do interviews like Amanda. So what things would you say to someone who's new to interviewing? Would you advise them to practice with a friend before their first few interviews? What what things should they look at doing to help increase their confidence? Yeah, I always say practicing with a friend won't hurt, but I also very much recognize that interviewing your friend is very different and doesn't fully simulate what it's like to interview someone you don't know, right? So that will only help you so far. So I wouldn't say sink all your energy into interviewing all your friends. But um, once or twice for sure, get your wheels going um, and listen back to yourself. And that's always a great first step. Um, But I do think you have to take the plunge. I think sometimes if you're a new podcaster, what I'll recommend is for episode one to interview someone who might not be this like A-list celebrity status, someone who just in case things go wrong, just in case you feel like you have to redo it, that this person would be wet, ready and willing 
to possibly redo it. You know, that's a, that's a nice little safety net you can have for yourself. And, and usually when people have a podcast idea, they tend to have one or two ideas of people they want to interview already. So I would say like, go for those, those kind of low hanging fruit kind kind of guests, because, um, that's a good way to segue into it. Um, and I also think it's important to be prepared, not necessarily with what kind of questions, like with what questions specifically, but what, what, what tactics to use in certain scenarios, right? So if you feel like, oh, if someone gives me a, a, a raw, an answer that's really bad, I just don't even know what I would do, right? Like you want to be able to kind of play out different scenarios and feel confident. So, okay, if they didn't give you an answer um, that you really liked, or you thought it was like a one word answer and you wanted a little more, how are you going to handle that? And, and you want to kind of play out those, those scenarios. So in that case, I would either ask the person to elaborate a little bit more. You can also give them a prompt like, okay, I want a little, hear a little bit more about that. Um, and I really want to know how you were feeling in that moment. Right. So kind of having these, those kind of, um, follow-up questions that you feel confident leaning upon. Um, and also re-asking the question is another tactic later on in the interview. So if you didn't get a great answer, maybe they were nervous or they didn't feel quite feel comfortable answering that just yet, keep it in your back pocket, reword it, and ask it again a little later. And usually that will get you an answer, a much better answer, or at least a different answer. Um, so I would try to just say, if you're preparing, kind of map out these different scenarios and feel confident in how you would tackle these different situations. Mm. And have you ever had to kind of re-ask questions in your interview or kind of rescue a situation where someone has just said to you, oh, yes, that's true. And then there's been a silence. What what kind of things have you done in that kind of situation? <laughs> all Amanda? the time. Yeah, yeah. all the time. Um, and that happens. I mean, when I was a reporter, that would typically happen when someone was avoiding questions. And so that's a different tactic you would take. Um, I must but, have been a politician, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed a lot of politicians in my time. But I think for the average person, if someone's willing to come onto your podcast, you're more likely going to hit up against someone who just doesn't really know what you're looking for and also doesn't even know what's interesting. This is what's funny. When when it's your own story, sometimes people have a hard time determining what is the interesting part of this. And so the most recent one I could think of was actually just like two weeks ago. I was interviewing someone about his experience in a university program and he's having a, a shift in his career. He's in his 40s. He's He's completely changing paths. So he's kind of starting fresh. And, you know, so that's the interesting story. This is why we're interviewing him. You know, what led him here? What's he nervous about? What's he thinking about? What made him decide this, right? So I want all those colorful types of, you know, um, quotes and anecdotes from him. Yet he just loved the program that he was in so much that he just defaulted to talking about the logistics of the program, the specific courses he's taking, how many hours he spends in class, you know, like he was giving me all of this because that's what to him, what he felt interesting Yeah, yeah. because he's discrediting his own story. And so I, I actually did pause him. I was like, Hey, love that. You know what? I actually already got all that info. So I'm just gonna, you know, and, the, and I won't halt, completely halt a, um, a conversation all the time. But in this case, I was interviewing for clips. So it was not the back and forth. So I did feel like I had a little more leeway and how and how I could approach that situation. But I was, I just said, you know what, I'm going to re-ask that question, but it's only because I want you to focus on on the feelings part of it, because I actually have all that info. 
and I'm going to set it up in the script. And so, you know, just giving him that guidance allowed him to just refocus. And it's not that he was avoiding the question. He just didn't even really realize what was going to make the best story. And so um, it's taking a little beat, a little pause, fill them in, reframe and, and have, and then he did slip back into it a couple of times, but then I would just let him go, let him say everything he wants to say, because that's the other thing. Some people just like have it on their heart. They're like, I need to say this on the record, let him say it. And then I would go, okay. And then how did you feel? You know? And Mm -hmm. I would just like Mm -hmm. really zero in on a follow-up. And so, um, yeah. And, and then I ended up getting a brilliant, brilliant stuff from him. So I really don't think any interview is beyond saving. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I've learned as well is that um, most people that you interview, they're like so open to that kind of coaching, for lack of a better word. They want to hear, you know, this is what's going to make a great interview. They want to help you. So, you know, my, I suppose um, I would say don't be afraid of, as you've just described, jumping in and saying, you know, I'd really like to get this or tell me how you feel. Exactly. They want to sound good, right? And they – and and. That's another thing. I always, especially if it's, again, not in my journalistic days, but in some of my more softer interviews that I'm doing, I say, hey, listen, like I'm on your team. I'm not here to trip you up. And so if you want me to re-ask a question, I kind of give this spiel at the beginning. If you want me to re-ask a question, no problem. You want to pause and take a drink of water? Let's do it. You know, and I kind of just create this space of I'm actually on your side. I want this to be great. I want you to be great. And we're in this together. Yeah, and you want the interviewee to feel as comfortable as possible. Yes, exactly. Yeah, We've kind of like skirted around something that's quite big uh, in podcasting, and that's like the why behind your show. And once you understand the big why behind your show, you'll have a much better sense of what kind of interviews you, you want from people. So touch on that a little bit, like connecting the why behind your show with how you shape your interviews and how you focus on objectives there. Yes, for sure. I think, especially since the podcast space, I mean, lots of people say it's, you know, overpopulated and there's so much content out there. And I roll my eyes at that because I do think there are so many niches that are untapped. There are still so many voices that are underrepresented. And so I just don't think we're at that point yet where we have too many podcasts. Um, And so when people are creating shows right now, ideally, you're wanting to create a show that has something unique to offer. What is that differentiating factor that is going to make your podcast stand out? Yes, I'm not not going to turn a blind eye to the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, but there is definitely something little, a little something special that every podcast can still have for itself. And so I think when you are approaching an interview, you have to keep that unique differentiating factor front and center, right? You don't want to get caught up in, let me get a bio of this whole person. I want a life story. I want their whole timeline because then that gets boring. And then that's probably what's already been done, right? You want to be able to really highlight um, a specific angle or a specific question that really is unique. And so one example that just pops into my head is, is on being with Krista Tippett. Um, and she's a fantastic interviewer. She is someone that I always recommend for people who take my interviewing workshop to go listen to first off, because on being actually publishes their raw interviews and then they're edited like slickly 
produced interviews. So it's great for learning if you're wanting to listen to how the interview was conducted and then what made it to air. The The show does air, all, it's syndicated in the US on radio stations, but it's available as a podcast as well. And so anyway, but her unique, so she's talking about on being, you know, it's about, about being human. Um, but her unique offering is that she asks every guest what their faith journey is. And she's a woman, uh, she's a Christian woman, um, but, you know, not all of her guests are, but she always has a really interesting discussion about how faith or the lack thereof played a role in their life and what, and what environment they grew up in and what shaped them. And that's her magic question, right? And so you end up getting this like really special lens on someone like Brene Brown, who I don't know anyone else who's asked her what her faith journey was, right? So, um, and that was actually one of the interviews that I play as an example. It's a great listen if you want to go listen to uh, Krista Tippett and Brene Brown. But, you know, that she always makes sure she comes back to that and asks that question and then audience come to expect it. And it adds a little something special to their, you know, to their conversation. And do you have any other favorite uh, interviewers that you, you like to listen to or that you're a big fan of? I always also use uh, Mark Marin. So he's a uh, yeah, comedian. Yeah. yeah. And so his mm -hmm. podcast, WTF with Mark Marin, you know, I love him because he's a comedian. And a lot of times, I mean, comedians in the podcasting space, they were one of the true trailblazers as far as industries go, for sure. Um, and a lot of them can pull off these like one woman, one man shows where they're just basically doing a bit the whole time. Um, but also it is very easy for them when they're doing an interview to just kind of like go rogue, get into a bit, you know, really go sideways. Um, if they don't rein themselves in because podcast is not like on stage where you can kind of have a banter with one person in the audience and everyone feels, you know, like it's a funny side note. Whereas on podcasts, you lose people sometimes when that happens. So anyway, mm -hmm. I find he's very skilled at still bringing that humor and improv and um, comedy to his interviews, but he keeps it, he does keep it on track. It's very entertaining. Um, and the interview specifically that I like to play from him is the one he does with Barack Obama when, and this was at the time when uh, Barack was uh, president. And, you know, you could tell that he had done so, he had done prep, but like he still left that space to have funny one-offs and, and follow-up questions, right? And so um, it's a great interview to listen to. If you look it up, it's it's quite easy to find. There's like, he made a whole website dedicated to this interview. And he even does a, like two special things right off the bat is number one, he does a preamble without Obama. And he kind of just talks about how nervous he is. <laughs> and I thought it was just great. It was like a lens onto how he's feeling as the interviewer. And he like, lets the audience in, right? It's this like authentic piece, which is why people love podcasts. It, so that was a great little setup. And then the second part that I loved is that as Barack Obama's walking in, he leaves all the mics hot. Like he has them all on. So he's actually picking up a bunch of sound of like him, of, of Barack going like, oh, well, what chair do I sit in? And he's like, oh, that one. And there's like a little bit of a, a little fun back and forth before he actually dives into the interview and he leaves it all in. So you get the full experience. Yeah. So you get the full experience and it's, again, it's really nice because you just see that human element of both of them. The audio isn't perfect. Cause I mean, they're standing up, they haven't sat down yet, but I like to say too, when doing interviews, like 
people are forgiving if they can't hear as long as they can make it out and it's not like you know excruciating to listen to it's not the whole interview right if it's a couple seconds of being off mic but a really great back and forth use it like people want to hear that it makes it feel real makes it feel like you're standing in the room with them and I just really loved that approach to the interview I thought I thought it was different and I think it was very well received and again a lot some of this stuff is subjective but um yeah, it ended up for me at least feeling like a really great way to dive in rather than saying Barack Obama is the president of the United States. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just like was such a warm, welcoming, inviting way to get into a conversation. Yeah. And when you talked about Krista Tippett, you talked about um, the transcript, the way she's publishing the raw audio and then the finished. And that's a really interesting thing that people can learn from with your book, isn't it? Because you include an example of where you have the raw transcript and then what you actually used yeah thank you yes for the plug thank you for that I do and, <laughs> and it was something I had done because it was an ask I was getting from people and so I did include that at the end um and so I think it's one of the best ways to learn right so I put the full and that was like I put a full transcript of an interview I did and you could kind of see areas where my subject was winding off and how so not only can you see how I brought it back, but then I put the transcript of how I edited the piece. And then you can see how I actually put together different parts of it. So it seems seamless mm -hmm. um, in the in when you're listening to it. And you would have no idea that she had like a whole sidebar at one point uh, about something completely different. And so I think that kind of um, that kind of comparing and contrasting and 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 digging into, I think it's really helpful for people who are trying to learn uh, how to go about all of this. And of course, that's the next stage of the interview. What do you keep and what do you let go? And perhaps we can cover that in a, a future interview, you and I, Amanda. That will be fascinating for, yeah, for sure. listeners. Yeah. Now, so far, we've talked about interviews where we've had celebrities or we've had like very intense personal emotional situations. And in contrast to that, at the moment, you're working on a, a series or you did work on a series, I'm not sure which, on cybersecurity. So, you know, very fact-based. Tell us a little bit about how you approach that in contrast to the Afghanistan interviews with World Vision and how it's different from that kind of intense emotional situation. Yeah, definitely. So the podcast you're referring to is called Get It, Cybersecurity Insights for the Foreseeable Future. Um, and it's brought to you by Cisco and CDW Canada. And so these are leading cybersecurity experts in Canada. And I was the host, producer, and editor of the show. But uh, as the host, I was fa merely facilitating conversations with a roundtable of some of the top experts in the country and maybe the world, right? So I, in this case, um, was very intentional about how I approached it. Number one, because we were very tight on time. These uh, guests were, you know, slotting me in and there was no, you know, no extra minute to spare. So I had to be very mindful of my timing. And I also recognized that these people have a lot of information and some of it might go over some of our audience, go over the heads of some of our audience. So my job was right to like be able to extract all this information, set them up to be able to talk really intelligently but also be able to bring it back and ask follow-ups that maybe the audience is thinking too. So in my preparation, it was a very fine balance of 
you know, I, I am no cybersecurity expert, so I definitely had to do some research so that I made sure I was asking um, knowledgeable questions, that I was pronouncing words right, that I knew the acronyms, right? And so that I wasn't wasting time asking them, what does this stand for? I was sa- saying it in the setup, and this was something I alluded to in the beginning of this interview of like, what is the role of the interviewer? Um, and so I guess that's a really good example if you want to go take a listen on how I I leaned upon my research to set up the conversations and then I let them go. And I would only ask follow-ups not to, um, you know, not to clarify little details that I should have known, but more so to further the conversation, get a little bit deeper or to rein something that was like a really uh, big idea, rein it in a bit so that it, it, it hit home with people. And so in that case, I did have a list of questions, but I didn't have them really set out in a very specific order. I was very well acquainted with the topics that they were attributed to. And then I was just really doing active listening. And that's another big part of it is really listening to your guests. What are they saying? What are they bringing forward? And I allowed the conversation to flow seamlessly because I was so well versed with the topics that you know, I'd pick up on something that they said in, in their answer and be like, oh, well, that brings me to bang. And I was able to bring up questions that I knew were on the list, but maybe weren't ordered in that same way, but it allowed the conversation to, to feel really seamless. And so on that show, we didn't have to do massive reconstructive surgery on the conversation. It was quite organic how it flowed and it really made sense. And we still touched upon all the topics that we set out to do. So, uh, so I think it worked really well. And it sounds to me as though your preparation made the difference there. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I would like yeah. to say so. And, you know, it's. Um, I didn't it, mean that to sound like, you know, that's the only time you're prepared and it made a difference. <laughs> I mean, like your preparation would have been absolutely crucial it's to integral. keep those interviews on track, yeah. like keep them confined to the subjects. Yeah. It, exactly. it sounds incredibly challenging. So I'm curious to know. How you handled it, if someone raised a really interesting point, did you go off and explore it, even if it wasn't in your script, or did you kind of let it go? How did you handle that? Yeah, so that is tough. There are some times where I heard a little something that I would have loved to have explored, but I just knew it was too far off from what the main topic of the episode was, right? So I had to use my discretion. We had all of our episodes. This is another thing with episode mapping. It's really great. I knew the topic of every single episode before I started recording episode one. So I knew if someone alluded to a different topic that was maybe in another episode, I knew not to explore it further. And that did happen because especially with something like a specific industry, it's all, you know, everything goes hand in hand. It overlaps with other topics. So for instance, there was one episode on artificial intelligence and another episode on remote working, right? But and and when remote working came up in the artificial intelligence episode, I just knew, you know, you know, I'm not going to go down that because we have a whole other episode for it. I didn't say it. I just went, you know, I continued. I might have even said, "Oh, we have a whole other episode on remote working. We're going to get to that in another show." But for now, blah blah blah, and kept it kept it on artificial intelligence. There were a couple of moments though where someone brought something up like creating operational policies around around cybersecurity within an organization. And in that case, that wasn't on my list of questions, but I was really curious about what those operational policies might look like and how long do they take to develop? And it kind of came up organically. And I did pursue that in that case, right? I knew Mm -hmm. it was 
only going to take a couple of extra follow-ups. And so I, uh, I definitely did do those follow-ups in that case and, and it ended up working out really well. That's awesome. And what are you working on currently, Amanda? What kind of shows are you doing interviews for? Oh my goodness. I'm in production on five different shows right now. <laughs> so wow. yeah, I'm a, a busy bee, but, um, some of the most, um, some of the exciting ones that I have on the dock is one for Ryerson University called The Forefront. And so that's talking about current affairs issues and research that's happening in Canada and specifically at Ryerson that's helping to solve some of our world's and country's biggest problems. And so one of them happens to be cybersecurity. That's a hot topic in Canada right now. Um, another one's like city planning and the future skills needed for our workforce in Canada and all of that. So that's a really exciting series that I have on the go. Um, and I'm also doing a show with um, the Globe and Mail, which is a food podcast. And so that one will be coming out um, in a couple of weeks. So it'll be called Here's the Scoop. So you can keep an eye out for that one as well. They sound great. And I'm curious now having to listen to all of this. And I think the listeners might be curious as well. Like how much time do you spend preparing or does it really vary depending on the show? It really varies. So for instance, Here's the Scoop will pre-interview all of our guests and so that takes an extra layer of interviewing right um same with Ryerson both of those it's a more slickly produced podcast there this is ones where we're cutting clips and writing script around it so we really want to make sure we're getting the right guests and that they um, have a clear vision for what we're looking for and what we're hoping that they bring to the table um and so and we have a bit more time to produce them so you know that kind of prep for one episode definitely takes a lot longer. Um, but then there's other shows, for instance, the cybersecurity one, we just dove right in, right? We didn't do any pre-interviews. The guests on the roundtable were sometimes meeting for the first time on the recording and it still worked out well, but it's what well, we did the prep in a different way, right? We had, I worked with their team to really develop a, a, a strong topic list. The guests were prepped individually from, from their own internal teams. So, you know, it just like different, there's a different uh, approach to it. Um, depending on, you know, the type of the type of show it is, the content, how well, how, you know, how comfortable the guests are going to be. Um, so for instance, the cybersecurity one, all of the guests were very well-spoken, media-trained, comfortable. So that allowed it to be a bit easier. So uh, you really got to gauge it depending on the content and the guests. But of course, as we said earlier, your preparation was pretty significant for that show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they exactly, didn't have yeah. To, yeah, they prepped in a different way. I prepped in a different way, right? So I prepped on my own on that one. Whereas mm. with the food podcast, I'm not prepping nearly as much personally, but I am preparing ahead of the interviews by speaking to the people in advance and by working with a team of people who we actually bounce ideas off of and then together as a collaborative team come up with our approach to the interview. Mm. Well, it's just been a fascinating conversation, Amanda. I do appreciate your time. And before we go, is there anything else that you would advise uh, podcast interviewers to like focus on or special skills to develop? One um, other tactic. Yeah, I have one tactic that I just love to share, which is that there are no stupid questions. And a lot uh, of times, yeah. yeah, I feel like new 
um, hosts or interviewers tend to feel like they need to have all the answers and they need to know everything that their guest is sharing. And that's just not the case. And also that's impossible. So um, I always like to say, you know, if you don't know something that they're talking about, if there's a word that they use, an acronym that's you're not familiar with, just ask. Like you might miss out on some real gold. That's where like the 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 potential for what you might lose is huge and it's not worth it. So I always like to either just straight up ask, oh, I don't I don't know what that stands for. Do you mind uh, explaining it to me? Or another fun tactic that you can use is blame it on the audience. So you can yeah. say that, <laughs> yeah, right? For those in the audience who don't know what Pepita is, do you mind explaining? That's a cybersecurity acronym, by the way. But anyway, yeah. So you could just kind of like, you know, use that as as a as a, something to lean on. And it's a great way to get them to explain it. It's making it more eye level for your audiences. Because if you don't know, there's bound to be someone else out there who doesn't know. Um, and it allows you to ask a really meaty follow up if it's if it's appropriate. That's fantastic. Yeah. And good tip right at the end there. Don't be, you know, afraid that you're going to look stupid because, as you said, your audience probably doesn't know. Exactly. Well, this has been fascinating. And I think, you know, the the logical next step, I'd love to, you know, the next interview, I'd love to have you in the future to talk about, you know, once you've got the interview, what kind of things do you look at editing? I'm not talking about the technical side of editing, but the, the content aspect. So hopefully we can do that in the not too distant future. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, well, thank you, Amanda. I hope you have a, a good rest of the evening. And we look forward to speaking again. Thank you. Take care. Bye.